Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Greased lightning version. Welcome to another week of DVD Clutter, the podcast all about DVDs, decluttering, and that, yeah. well, that's it. That's it, actually. Really thought like I was going to... It's a very short... It's a, it's a short podcast. We go, what are you going to do with this film? Well, chuck it out. Yeah. Oh, cool. Thanks. See you next week. That's it. It's great. But this week we're doing one of your films. We are. And we're doing what I think is a bona fide classic. I would 100% agree. Yeah. The one... And I hope... The only... Grease Lightning! <laughs> Did you know that that song mm. was written for the film and was not originally part of... The stage show. That's a lie. I've done the stage show. Wasn't it? It wasn't it written by Harry Gibb for the. I think it was written. No, the song "Grease." The um, "Grease" is the word. "Grease" is the oh, word. Yeah. Is the word. I got sorry. Excuse heard. me. It's got a groove. That was written for the film. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> got very confused and overexcited by the fact that we're doing <laughs> another musical. <laughs> yes, sorry about that. Turns out we do a lot of musicals on this show. Do we? Yeah. Right. Maybe we, not. We've done Repo. Yep. Mulan. Mulan. <laughs> Mulan Rouge. Yeah. And this. And and this. Okay. So maybe but not a huge amount of musicals. We've done three. Yeah. But um, we've got some more coming down the pipeline, oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure. We've got plenty. Mm. Plenty more to yeah. go. Exciting times. This one, yeah, is a film that I'm sure most people have seen. If not, you'd know all about it. Um, you've probably seen... I think a, so. ...a local theatre or school group do the production on stage as well. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like an enduring classic. Like it's... Yeah. It was popular back then and it's continued now. That's it. A 1970s um, reflection on the 1950s. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then when you're doing the stage show in 2020, it's a yeah. 2020 reflection on the blah, 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 on the blah, blah, blah. You know, we get very meta. Mm. How weird will it be in 30 years when people are doing a production of Grease, it's going to be based on something that was 100 years ago? Oh, that's crazy. But we still do that now. Yeah, I guess. This kind of... Feels like, weird. Yeah. <laughs> so this is your DVD? Yes. How did... And I'll just quickly show you... Can you before, show me the DVD, yeah, actually? Before we go through that, because it is a very special edition. I had a feeling you would have a special edition because I feel like you were probably in the musical, given your background of being in musicals. Ooh la la. Yeah, here it is. Paul is now holding up the DVD, which I can just see. If I couldn't see that little tiny hint of a DVD in the top, I would not think it's a DVD. It's in what looks like a T-Birds leather jacket. Oh yes, and it's got the T-Birds logo on the back and that's the case. Do you have to unzip it? No, it pulls out. Paul has just pulled out the DVD from the leather the, the leather jacket case. And, oh, yes, we can see the 30th anniversary edition. Yeah. That is fucking fancy. It is, and it's two discs. Wait. So is many this special movie pictures. PG? Yeah. PG, Paul. PG. You think it's too saucy? Oh, it's so saucy. It is quite saucy. Um, and we can talk about the sauciness of it later. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you get that DVD, first of all? Yeah. Because that is an incredible DVD. It's pretty awesome. Um, So, we had this film on VHS growing up as a kid and that's how I would have watched it mostly and it wasn't until from your parents buying it yeah I think so I remember um we had yeah the the video um we used to do concerts as kids for our parents you know obviously <laughs> big, big part of growing up and um no we we did we did similar things I yeah. imagine yours were a bit more have it had a bit more pizzazz though I feel like your family's a bit more extravagant than mine <laughs> but grease numbers used to be High up on the rotation of them. I remember often singing oh my Sandy. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys do duets and everything? Um, I, I can't. I, re- I just remember dressing up as Danny and singing Sandy. I can't remember. At the age of like, what, 10? Yeah, it 12. would have been. I, yeah, so Greece, obviously, like lots of people had... A uh, lot to do with my life growing up. I remember one of my sister's yeah. ballet recitals. They were doing a Grease medley and I got to walk across as one of the T-Birds oh. in it. I remember we saw they had a touring production that went out to rural areas. Like, well, Ballarat's hardly a rural area anymore. but yeah. And had a giant big top version of it. So I was in a big tent. Wow. And yeah. um, mum got us some great tickets right in the front row. However, the stage was raised up. So you couldn't actually see anything from the front row. Oh, no. So mum spoke to them and I remember... I remember they moved us, but then they also, uh, to apologise, sent us a copy of the soundtrack and Aww. a box of favourites. Yum. Yeah, I know. It was great. <laughs> so that's another Grease memory growing up. Then my high school did it when I was sort of in middle school. So we the high school production was just 
just for years 10 to 12 so I didn't get to yep. do it then but then my local theatre group did it when I was in year 12 and I was in it who did you play? I was Sunny one of oh. the T-Birds which was a heck of a lot Very of good. fun and it was then because at the stage that stage mum was doing I think her master's at the University of Melbourne so she'd go and do uh, classes down there and um, would be near Ligon Street uh, the cultural hub of Melbourne <laughs> <laughs> I miss like on stream. Especially when you were a kid, you were like, oh, yeah. whoa. When you were a kid from out of town, I should say, when you were a kid from the country, you were like, whoa, what is gelato? What is wood-fired pizza? That's it. Whoa. <laughs> I remember going down to, like, uh, one of mum's classes um, fell during the holidays. I got to go down with her and, like, yeah, just walking along Lagon Street and getting a coffee and buying a copy of Empire or um, Total Film yeah. and reading it yeah. or drinking a coffee and, uh, and browsing. Like, yeah, I'm so Melbourne. That's it. And browsing um, readings and back then it was Borders um, had a huge store on Ligon Street as well. Yeah. Oh, those were the times. That's just it. And then going to see a film at the Nova. So, oh, so yeah. trendy. I mean, I feel like we, we really, we lost some of that joy. And now that we're all isolated and we don't get to do that stuff, we're going to have a resurgence. We're going to have like a renaissance of appreciation. I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. But it was on one of those trips to Melbourne. Mum came back and she'd um, bought me a couple of DVDs from Borders, including Greece in its little jacket. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And at that same time, she got me a copy of Top Gun that came in a little Top Gun jacket <laughs> and um, Footloose. I see they really, they thought of something and they went for it. That's it. And, and Footloose that came in a little sweatshirt. So we'll do those films <laughs> eventually. Um, I think we're going to have Mum on the pod- podcast to talk about Top Gun because she's got her own copy oh, of that DVD. Oh, so cool. Okay. So that's how I got the copy of Grease and, yeah, have watched it. I don't think I really delved into the special features too much at the time, but I've definitely watched it a few times because it's one that people are happy to watch, you know? It's one that... Yeah, definitely. It's like a, oh, yeah, let's watch that. Yeah, exactly. Like a relaxing, you don't have to think too much. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was like watching it this time. But before we get into watching it this time, give us a plot breakdown, Beck. All right. I'm pretty sure everyone will know. Yeah. But just in case you don't, the movie centers on a school and it's all about teenagers and it's all about the struggles of being a teenager. But we've got our two main characters, Sandy and Danny, and they meet over summer and they have a romantic fling. But then at the end of the romantic fling, it's like, oh, no, I've got to go back to Australia because Sandy, played by Olivia Newton-John, is Australian. Very odd at that particular time to see an Australian accent on big screen. Still odd now. Yeah. So... You know, well done them. And well done Olivia Newton-John for making them do it. And Danny's like, oh, oh, well, like, I guess hopefully we'll see each other again. But they're both really sad. But then, flash forward, turns out Sandy doesn't have to go back to Australia. Mm -hmm. She gets to stay in America. And just by chance, she ends up at the same school as Danny. Yeah. Incredible. Who would have thought it? But the the problem is that at school, Danny's got this real hardcore persona. He's part of a gang called the T-Birds and they all wear like leather jackets and they're into cars and they're into smoking and they're not into schoolwork and they are into like chicks and making date rape jokes and <laughs> all of that kind of fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Sandy is a bit of a goody two-shoes in, in quotation marks. I mean, that has a very negative connotations, not to shame her, but she's very like put together, very polite. She's follows the rules she's a a quintessential nice girl i guess yeah girl next door so obviously when they meet danny's like he can't be seen falling in love with someone like this because she's uncool in the way that he thinks and his gang thinks cool is so he's like brushes her off a bit but then he feels really guilty because he really does love her yeah then we have a lot of backwards and forwards between them trying to figure out you know can they be together can't they be together and we'll talk about this more in depth as we kind of pick apart the movie and talk about whether or not we accept it as a film (laughs) in 2020 (laughs) because i think there's a lot of discussion there to have oh yeah but we see you know there's some great characters in there i really i mean just to give away my take on it but i really enjoyed watching it again there's great characters it's really interesting and i forgot to mention biggest part of it they just break out into song every you know 10 to 15 minutes it's a musical which was great so at the end of the film um we've seen them kind of have this struggle about you know should they be together should they not be together because of their differing social echelons and then at the end of the film sandy kind of decides fuck it i'm gonna go bad girl yeah and she wears this if you know greece you know the outfit i'm talking about it's the black leather pants that she had to be sewn into Mm -hmm. the really super tight top 
the big hair, the cigarette, which she doesn't quite know how to be cool with. <laughs> and she kind of says, I'm here. I'm going to be I'm a, this sexy girl yeah. now. I'm a bad girl. Let's be together. And he's like, fuck yeah. Yep. And then they fly off in a car together. That's they it. literally fly. Yeah. It's just but the I mean, beginning. It's just the beginning. The film, I mean, there's a lot of different themes in the film. And I think there's a lot to talk about because it is a, it is a pretty complex look at the struggles that kids go through in high school simplified into a really fun interesting musical but i still think you know there's a lot there's a lot to talk about in this film yes definitely so i think that that was a plot breakdown is that okay does that make sense i think so is that was that too simple no 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 and i think we'll explore some of the side characters and their stories especially when we discuss the themes yeah Yeah. okay yes i think so too because there are some great side characters Mm. and i think i didn't i forgot to mention so Danny's part of this gang called the T-Birds, but Sandy kind of gets adopted into this group of girls called the Pink Ladies who all wear their pink jackets and they're kind of the equivalent, I guess, girl group to the T-Birds boy group. They're yeah. kind of the bad girls. They don't play by the rules, all that kind of stuff. And she doesn't really fit in with them, but she gets adopted by Frenchie, who's the kind of nice one of the group. Yeah. Or not that not that the rest of them aren't nice, but the more motherly That's figure it. in the group. Yeah. yeah, I think that covers it pretty much. I, I and then so. we'll, we'll talk about it more in detail as we go. Yeah, and I think, yeah, going into what it was like watching it now in 2020 through my eyes, it it did bring up a lot of that. But I think it's sort of stuff that even watching it five years ago, you already kind of felt the the sort of the simplicity of the plot and the way that it sort of brushes over some big issues. But I guess in the way it brushes over them also draws attention to them in a a really interesting way. Mm. I I still really enjoyed watching it and still enjoy watching it. Mm. And and I guess this speaks to the, the film and, and the stage show. When the stage show's done well, which, as I said, as again, you've probably seen an amateur theatre or a school group do it, and it's not always going to be done particularly well. Uh, <laughs> it's I think the film and, and the show can be a masterclass in pacing. And any time that I, I speak about pacing or think about pacing for film or live television, I think you have, you have to go back to Greece in the way that it uses pacing so well. That structure of song, that structure of sort of quick scenes and gags that keeps you moving along in what is nothing of a plot, which is a will they, won't they... She completely changes mm. the end. There's there's really nothing there, yeah. but it can keep you engaged. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot to learn from it in that regards. And I think that's why I, I will continue to love it, even though yeah. I understand how it be- some how, of the issues with it. How- how it is broadly problematic. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the, the idea of it being problematic is an interesting one. And I think we will have this debate as we go through. But uh, there there are varying arguments for and against this. And I think, you know, is it a sexist movie or is it a feminist movie? Yeah. I don't know. And I think it's, I, I'm kind of undecided. And I've done a, a fair bit of reading into it over the last few days after I watched it. Because instinctively, I've always loved this film. The same as you. Like, I kind of grew up with it. I love the music. It's romantic. You know, it's silly. It's funny. It's got a lot going for it and the music is great and catchy and fun so I don't know if I'm scrabbling to kind of forgive it in certain ways or if I am making apologies for it but I think there's definite arguments for either side of how we should view this film and I think everyone can have their own viewpoint obviously but there's a lot of arguments for and against. Very much so and I think as I've grown up I haven't really moved to one side or the other like I remember growing up I didn't sort of when I was younger not really understanding how it could be seen as problematic then Mm. grew up a bit and sort of very much was on the side against it being like, this is really bad. And then now I think as I've gotten older and especially as I've had more interactions with teenagers as an adult. Totally, um, yeah. I can see more of the, um, I guess, the truth in it and the benefit in showing um, high school was a shitty time for everybody. Wouldn't it be good if we just had a scene? Yeah, (laughs) totally. (laughs) Yeah. Totally, totally. I yeah I think there's I agree I think I went through that total phase as well of being like love this film oh how could I have ever loved that film and now this film is more complicated than I first gave it credit for yeah yeah um do you should we get into it yeah let's do it because I think yeah we got we got a lot to talk about here do you have things you want to talk about first or should we just kind of go I think we've both agreed that we still really enjoyed it well I guess it's about how, how we want to structure it. do we want to talk about Grease the production then the themes then the filming let's do it that way I'm gonna okay, I'm cool. gonna give you a bit of history on the production please yeah yeah, so love that. basically it started off in Chicago uh, in the 1970s as sort of like a really sort of rock and roll 50s style parody kind of improv 
of kind of really organic sort of thing. Yeah. Got kneaded up as it went along and then went to off-Broadway, then to Broadway, then to London and sort of did that path. And at every sort of evolution that it took in its sort of theatre career, it did sort of tone down. It started off really quite rough and heavy and mm. something that, you know, has definitely had its edges dampened. It was a lot of the, the sex and the violence, the language and yeah. the toughness was sort of taken out of it and sort of given a bit of a glossy coat. Because I guess the writers originally were really trying to reflect this idea of 1950s schools was sort of always sort of seen as very innocent and there was sort of like a bad kid. But they really wanted to portray what was a, a rough school. What was mm. what was the normal school experience well, for people? From what I read, they kind of wrote it, or I forget the name of the guy who was attributed for writing it, but he, he stated that it was meant to be a almost like a satirical take on those movies that portrayed the bad boy to turning good at the end of the film like yeah. you know the the good girl has the influence over the bad boy and he turns into a good boy and it had this real sanitized there was this whole in the 50s that whole sanitized version of teenagers yeah which you see i mean you know the films that we know from the 50s are mostly the ones that challenged that because they're the ones that lasted like rebel without a cause yeah like rebel without a cause they're the ones we remember now but for the majority i think teenagers were really shown as being this very yeah like sanitized version of almost brady Bunch-esque kind mm. of oh yes mother that kind of thing yeah and I think this was written this was written as an attempt to um try and satirize that and I think in a way that when it sort of eventually did evolve into what became the film that's why the film can feel a bit jarring when it sort of does deal with these themes of sort of teen pregnancy and peer pressure and gang violence it, it feels a little bit jarring in some stages of the film because of this because I think it came from such sort of a rough place where maybe the parody of it was a bit easier to see Whereas here, I think you can mm. easily go through this without without taking in that mm. that sort of satirical element. that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, of course, the production has evolved since as well. A lot of the songs that were written for the film. So I guess the famous ones that were written for the film were "Grease Is the Word" by Barry Gibb at the start. Um, the opening song. Yeah. Yeah, hopelessly devoted to you which was written for Olivia Newton-John to really um, push her and her vocal capabilities. A little bit of a yeah. side note too, that was one that was sort of, as is the trend with um, making movie musicals, that was the one they added in there to get that Oscar nomination. Oh. Because you have to have an original song. In the- ah. <laughs> it's a great song. I love that it, song. And it got them the nomination. They missed out in the end. Um, lots to something that we've all forgotten about. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> And then the other two were uh, Sandy and You're the One That I Want, which really come in to replace two songs which were Alone at the Drive-In and All Choked Up, which are songs that just aren't very good. And I think really mm. they're musically sort of parodies of that sort of 50s era sort of stuff that didn't stick with people and that people wouldn't get it, the reason of them. And often when you see mm. at the moment, if you do an amateur production of this show, you have to pay extra money to get the movie songs, which a lot of places don't do because it's it's not worth it. So if you do see a production and you get those, the Alone in the Driveway, Alone in the Driveway, Alone in the Drive-In and... Um, <laughs> At the moment, it is alone in the driveway because yeah. you can't go to the drive-in. <laughs> you have to stay in your driveway. That's it. But if you get the alone in the drive-in song and all choked up, they're just you don't get any joy from them. I don't think they just they just don't work anymore. So yeah, yeah. Now often when you see a production, they add in the movie songs. When I was younger, I bought the record of Grease. I found it in an op shop somewhere, and yeah. it's like the big double record thing, and it's really awesome. I love it, and I still have it. And that has all of those songs as well. It's got both the film ones. So I think on the film soundtrack, they included those songs from the stage show as well. Yeah, I think the best stage recording, if you ever come across it, is the 1994 Broadway version, which had big sort of start thing was Rosie O'Donnell played Rizzo. Oh, cool. And sort of does highlight the Rizzo role a little bit more in the show. But it is just an absolute banger of an album. It um, takes the campness of those 50s songs to the next level, especially if you listen to the version of Grease Lightning. It is just amazing. But I think they're probably the only ones that I've listened to that's captured those original songs well enough to not let you down when you don't hear those film ones so um yeah give that a listen if you get a chance or to listen to it yeah to listen to it by itself without the stage show in front of you yeah because that can be hard sometimes like listening to the music by itself without the atmosphere of the production 
you have to have a pretty good song to be able to do that. Yeah, but I guess, yeah, that sort of gives the, the history of the show and where it's gone from there, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, that's great. And I think, you know, some, I, I'm, I guess most most people might know that it was a, a musical first, like a stage show first, but not always. Like, I th- mm-hmm. I've always known it from the movie and I, I didn't necessarily know until later on in life that it came from a musical. That is really surprising sometimes because there's films that created musicals and musicals that created films like, I always get shocked by the whole idea that Singing in the Rain was a, a film before it was a musical. A film first, yeah. Um, well, there's heaps. Yeah. Like, they're making bloody musicals out of everything, like Shrek. I don't want to see the musical of Shrek, but oh. they've done it. <laughs> well, not, not anymore. Oh, it got cancelled because of COVID. Oh, no. Well, I'm sorry to the cast and crew of Shrek, yeah. the musical, but I was never going to go and watch that. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's get on to the film. All right. So, when I was watching this, I watched it when Laura was at work and it was just me and Peggy. Mm-hmm. And poor Peggy... <laughs> I was bloody singing those songs to oh, her, yeah. lifting her up in the air, telling her I'm hopelessly devoted to her. <laughs> <laughs> I think she had a terrible time, yeah. <laughs> but I had a great time. It's definitely one that I'm just so familiar with that I can't help mm. but sing along. But there were so many things that I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten about that opening cartoon. Like, I don't know oh, wow. when I watched it last, but the opening sequence has the song, is it called Grease Lightning? Is that the it's song? Called, it's called Grease is the Word. Grease is the Word, that's right. Yeah. It's called Grease is the Word by Barry Gibb yeah. of the Bee Gees fame. Yeah, and um, thank sung by you know Frankie Valley. Frankie Valley, that's it yeah yeah which is so perfect because Frankie Valley is a a greaser like he's you know he's yeah. a he's a t-bird that's it yeah that that opening sequence with this that cartoon I'd completely forgotten about and I really enjoyed watching that mm-hmm. and I r- watched a couple of behind the scenes things on YouTube little featurettes and stuff and they said that they'd I think they'd made the cartoon maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong but they'd made the cartoon and the director or one of the producers talked about needing needing this opening song they were like we need a song and and he rang Barry Gibb and said, I need a song called Grease. <laughs> or like with the word, with the word Grease. And Barry Gibb was like, oh. yeah. And then he rang back and he was like, how about Grease is the word? And they were like, okay. Yeah. And he'd like got onto this thing. And then they put the the music and the cartoon together and it just like worked it was like one of those kind of magical things that kind of just came together and worked and they hadn't really they didn't know that it was going to go together like that but it did yeah i, I think we must have watched the same um, behind the scenes yeah yeah but i'm um, no, yeah, one of those so great that... moments yeah because um the, the producer on this film had previously just worked on saturday night fever so was able to bring across yes. john travolta and yeah barry gibb yeah yeah and i think john travolta wanted the director as well mm. he yeah because he'd he'd worked with him on The Boy in the Bubble which we've talked about before yeah we have doing Bubble Boy yeah which, that's it one of the best things I've found with this podcast is actually finding the connections between all these films that you just would have thought had nothing to do with each other nothing yeah so John Travolta being in The Boy in the Bubble this televised film about the kid who was born with no immune system which then we talked about when we did the Jake Gyllenhaal film Bubble Boy yeah and now we've got the same director. We've got John Travolta. It's all coming together. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And by the sounds of it, like I, you can see that they'd worked together before, but also the, the whole set sounded like everyone got along really well. And it's probably why the film's got such good energy, I think. And that's why one of the reasons that it's still, even though, yeah, as we say, some of the story has dated or kind of feels a bit weird now, uh, the energy of the film just can't be, can't be stopped. It totally, it's completely joyous and it, it has captured that feeling of a stage show. And I think you, you probably know this from your extras if we watch the same thing, but they talked about how a lot of the actors had been involved in the stage show and they'd been brought on to the movie. But one of the producers who had been involved in stage shows, he just had this energy about him and he would like come on set and, you know, rile them up and give them pep talks and they did live shows for crew and casts of other films yeah. that were going on around the studio as well so they, they really tried to capture that live energy which I think you can feel in when you watch the film that's it I loved it when they when they talked about that and also the whole idea that the very first day of shooting was the high school dance and you can just imagine oh, yes I loved that kicking it off with that would just mean that you know everyone is having a great time like it, it starts it yeah. off as a party well, I think, yeah, the rehearsal, they weren't even filming. They just were like, hey, we're going to have essentially a school dance, what they called a sock hop, yep. which I love the word sock hop. <laughs> why, why is it called that? Because your socks hop when you dance? Yeah. I don't know, but it's great. Yeah, but how fun is that? And they're like, guys, we're back at high school, you know, let's get into it. Talking about back at high school, some of these actors are not high school age. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Especially Sonny. So the character that you played, I was like, man, that kid looks old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the one that always gets me is the leader of the Scorpions gang. Oh, yeah. He looks like he's 40. Yes, he looks so old. Oh, God. And I think that's been an ongoing criticism, even from its, its release, that it's sort of been no one was in high school. And it's so weird watching it as a kid, just sort of see them as older people. But yeah, as you grow yes. up, you sort of just be like, oh, no, that that's not right. Yes. Yeah, as we go to school and deal with actual 17, 18 year olds yeah. and we're like, oh, this, this, no, <laughs> they don't have stubble like that. But on the flip side, I guess some of those actors may have actually gone to school in the 50s. So maybe they had like a, <laughs> a better understanding of what they were portraying. Do you want to talk about like some of those elements that we might consider problematic? Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, maybe we could start with probably the broadest one, which is sort of the one that you sort of see in meme form on the internet being like, you thought you loved green. Well, turns out the whole plotline is just that you should change who you are to get a man. Yeah, mm. take that, you know. And I think we- that's a that's a very simplistic view of the film. Very much so. And I think it's one of those ones that, um, yeah, is purposely just trying to be annoying on the internet. But I guess, look, if you did really want to boil it down, you do get that sort of message, especially, I guess, in the way that it sort of all comes together at the end. Yes, um, definitely. It is undeniable that that message is part of it. But I think, the, like you said, like, you know, when we, you know, we loved it and then we kind of were like, oh, maybe not so much. And now we're back at like, oh, it's a bit more complex than that. And I think in that middle stage where you're kind of seeing a new level of things, but not quite the whole level of things, it's an easy one to think oh actually that's a really bad message yeah whereas now i say it's almost as like the perfect reflection of of your high school experience how you sort of try out different versions of yourself totally for all different reasons some of them peer pressure some of them just about who you're being and then yeah it's you get that perspective later on life where you can sort of go oh what was i doing Uh, or yeah you know or it it's a really important stage of your life to start figuring out what that identity is and i think it's a it's a real a real reflection of that yeah and psychology will back you up Paul. (laughs) Adolescence is all about identity formation and trying out you know these different identities and that kind of thing and I think you know something that we often forget and maybe it's not given the same emphasis. Danny did try and change for her too. He becomes a jock. He goes and tries out all of these different sports so he can try and impress her because she's semi-dating this jock so he's like okay I've got to I really care for her and I need to try and get her to love me again. So both of them are trying out different things. I guess it's it's a shame that we see oh it's not it's a really difficult one because from our perspective we're going oh and in the end of course the girl changes for the guy but ultimately when it was written it was written as to try and say well she's not changing for the guy she's rejecting that purest idea of a teenager and she's kind of finding herself or she's finding a new version of herself so is she changing for him or is she changing for herself and is she finding a freedom in that Uh and I think there's such a beautiful scene that one where she where she arrives because she's got the cigarette and she looks back at Frenchie and she's not quite she's still not sure how to use the cigarette and she's like what do I do with the cigarette she has this panicked look back at Frenchie when she's trying to be cool and that's so true to her character still she's still the same person she's just trying out this new thing yeah um so yeah that's my take on that I I think looking at identities as much as you get that sort of like huge change from Sandy and it's sort of easy to focus on that one I think yeah looking at that whole idea of Danny and and really his performance of masculinity is just absolutely absolutely fantastic because you sort of see this yeah this um i guess truncated look at a similar path you see from teenage boys in that the whole time they're at school they're performing this scene as masculine role or sort of being being what um macho what a man but you also see this change as they grow up from them being what the masculine is at one stage which is being the bad guy doing the wrong thing to when they're starting to get to their uh i guess later later teen years where suddenly being the man is being in control of the situation and doing doing the sensible right thing and taking responsibility that's it and you sort of see him do that change all the while that he's performing the masculine it's sort of under, <laughs> underridden by this whole idea that he's breaking down to song and dance, which is sort of so so tra- <laughs> traditionally seen as the feminine. But he's this sort of like yes. this encapsulate of the masculine performance. It just works on so many levels that it's just it's, yeah. it's just perfect. And I think, you know, we all know when he's saying things in that opening song, Summer Lovin', the duet between the two, um, where they're both telling their own versions of the story. It's such a self-aware performance of masculinity. Yeah. Or, you know, we know they didn't get down and dirty in the sand. Yeah. We know that 
didn't happen. But we can see this, like you're saying, that performance of him going, yeah, yeah, we definitely had heaps of sex. Yeah. (laughs) We know that never happened. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it really crystallizes in that moment of of Grease Lightning. And this is part, this is common to the stage show too, where it's, it's, that song is a parody of the guys sort of each trying to out-masculine each other, just being like, Oh yeah, cars, cars and chicks, cars and chicks. But it's performed this super camp, over the top dance number. <laughs> you know, this car is automatic, hydromatic. Let's grease lightning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, and it's just, it's just perfect. And I think it, it's sort of yeah. even without maybe noticing it. But I think really in in making it at least originally, they did notice it. It is this perfect um, parody of of the gender roles that uh, high school kids sort of feel the pressure to play. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's this amazing scene between Kaniki and Danny when we're talking about masculinity when they're about to go and and have a a drag race with the Scorpions which is the rival gang and they've you know they've put together the car they're ready to go and Kaniki asks Danny to be his second you know if anything happens to him can he like be there with for him and it's this beautiful scene where they're like they're kind of like oh a bit awkward with each other they don't really know how to stand with each other because they're having quite an intimate moment together and then they he says you know will you be there for me and Danny's like oh yeah of course yeah and then they have this like big hug and then they have to like quickly get out their combs and get their swagger back on because they've just really let their hearts out a little bit and I think when the actor who plays Kaniki talks about that on that on the special he he's like he talks about it as a love scene he, he said he really had to think about that scene and how that scene should should be played and he realized it was a love scene between these two men who don't really know how to how to show affection to each other because of that over-the-top masculinity um that they're trying to portray yeah I, I really think and yeah he does give this um fantastic breakdown of what that scene is of how that inability to say I love you in any sort of platonic setting because it's so yeah sort of <laughs> so against their character and yeah it is just yeah. it is one of the best scenes in the film I think especially watching it now just the way yeah. that, the way that they behave it's also backed up in and this is something unique to the film in the scenes where you get to see Danny going for these different roles in sports teams which was a sequence I completely forgot about so he he, want, yeah. he wants to get with Sandy, so he decides to join all these different sports teams uh, or try yeah. out for He's them. He's going to throw off throw off his peer pressure from his T birds yeah. and become a Letterman. And just every situation is just absolutely perfect because it's him him scared about ruining this persona that is created or ruining his character or not understanding. But also feeling also feeling awkward yeah. in like and like not and not being good at something and having to you know his whole persona is built on the fact that I don't give a fuck I don't try. And now he's having to try, but he's still trying to maintain this I don't care attitude. Yeah. And it's a John Travolta plays that so well, that dance between those two sides of his personality. Yeah. You said it perfectly, and I think, yeah, that's just it. It's this character that he's created. That's Danny, not John Travolta, but, like, Danny, this character that he's created, put into a new situation, and you can see in his face, he's, like, doing the gymnastics of, but how am I supposed to react to you? Like, you know? (laughs) And he just keeps punching people because he doesn't know what to do. (laughs) That's it. Um, yeah, just get scared. It's, like, it's such a great sequence. Yeah, or like they're trying. <laughs> what, what, what's one of the things he's like? Teammates trying to get the basketball from him, and he's just like, "Get away from me! Like you can't have it. It's mine!" And then like just punches him. <laughs> he doesn't understand how this works. Yeah, yeah. I actually loved with that whole sequence as well, and I think this goes to to what the original writers were were trying to show about high school. I just really noticed that it's not a high school like you would see typically shown in a teen film these days. Like it's quite derelict almost like the the hoop the hoops aren't perfect you know the nets are missing they're all half torn off you know they've gone to a little bit of an effort to show that this isn't a wealthy area or it's not that kind of perfect Beverly Hills school that we are kind of used to seeing in teen films and and teen tv shows I I think you get that through the teachers as well they're sort of a lot of the time you sort of see yeah the the teachers in these sort of high school things are sort of these like heroic sort of dedicated to every last student where in this one they're all all quite real they're sort of like this is my job and it's really yep. shit that you guys are being shits but eh. <laughs> I, there was this beautiful scene that I, I made a note of when the principal, right at the start of the film, where the principal ha- is o- talking over the loudspeaker and she's announcing the fact that they're going to have this dance competition be filmed on live TV at Rydale High. And she has this, she just captures this contradiction that you feel as a teacher when your <laughs> students are going to go somewhere in public, which is like a mixture of p- 
pride and just pure fear, fear that they are going to <laughs> that they are going to do something stupid or embarrassing. It's it's a complex emotion when you take your your school kids out somewhere and you're like, okay, guys, you know, I'm I'm so proud of you and you're gonna be so great, but also please please behave, please. <laughs> I just thought she captured that so well. She kind of starts almost crying yeah. and she's like, oh god, oh god. No, yeah, just yeah, really perfect. Should we talk about I guess the Kaniki Rizzo plot? Yeah, yeah. The Kaniki Rizzo subplot of the film is that they have unprotected sex and mm. then her period's late. Yeah. And so she has a pregnancy scare. Yeah, that's it. So she's And I think there's there's they've got a, a history, these two, where they're kinda of on again, off again, but everyone kinda of thinks they should end up together. And I think that's how we're kind of led to feel at the end as well. They've got it's like that they've got a they've got a love for each other, but they're not quite sure how to be together. Yeah. But also, I think you get, watching it this time, you can definitely see, especially during some of the dialogue right at the start, that Rizzo and Danny had something going as well. I got that mm. vibe. You also get a vibe, I found watching this time, that Patty Simcox and Danny had something going a little bit too. That bit in the diner where she's like, you can come over and I can help you with oh, your homework yes. again. Like, <laughs> yes. But was that, was, it just, was that just about trying to make Danny the desirable bad boy? Like, is that just trying to make him know. like everyone wants him? I like, I've read into that that Danny is... Has got around. Like, he was a player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This subplot is one of those remnants of the original show in that it is kept it's kept very real. More real than I imagined. Mm. That that scene at the start. So you actually see the scene in the car where the condom breaks. I, I completely forgot about that scene. Yeah, me too. I, I completely forgot about it and maybe when I watched it when I was young did not get it. Yeah, yeah, potentially, yeah. But I was really impressed that they even brought up the idea of a condom because half the films you see, condoms don't exist. Mm. They just like have sex and it's all fine and sexy and great. But here they were actually saying, yeah, I've definitely got a condom. Oh, no, it's broken. Yeah. And then him saying, I bought it in seventh grade. Like also another little nod to the fact that these are still kids. Yeah. He, you know, it's they're not the sexually mature yeah. adults that they pretend to be. Oh, I... I- I think the the awkwardness of the sex scene there really is a highlight. Well, maybe not highlight's probably the wrong word of the film. But <laughs> something the film does really well because it sort of it demonstrates yeah. that sex isn't necessarily sexy. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's done well, but I completely forgot it existed. Same, but I was impressed with that. Mm. I guess it's also speaking to the time of 50s being yeah like condoms were not commonplace yeah I, d- I don't know what the situation was in america whether they were still sort of over-the-counter pharmacy thing you had to get i remember being in ireland in 2009 they were over-the-counter thing you had to buy mm. um, you couldn't get them from a supermarket no, kind you of had thing. to go to the pharmacy mm. and ask for them um which is yeah. ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, I'm Catholic. <laughs> but yeah, that whole whole idea of sex and um, I guess yeah, unprotected sex too. There's the I don't know how I'm doing a seg- as a segue here, but the the other reference to it is you know that bit in the Grease Lightning Dance where they start rubbing the um, cling foil. Oh yeah. So that that's a that's a reference to how condoms were hard to get in the time. Really? Yeah. I did not get yeah, so, I, I Literally, I was like, what the fuck are they doing with, with the cling foil? Yeah, so it was sort of saying you put that in the car because that's you're going to use that for sex because... That's your condom. So you, you wouldn't have to go through the process. And I imagine if, if you're, God, that's you're dire. young, you might, not, you might not be able to get access to condoms. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really depressing <laughs> and hopefully everyone has access to condoms yeah. now, please. Yeah, and I think the, the Rizzo storyline in general, like I think we should talk a little bit more about her character yeah. as one of quite a few interesting female characters in the film. All the pink ladies, well, I guess three specifically being Sandy, Rizzo and Frenchie, um, which we'll talk more about Frenchie's storyline in a bit, but they all kind of have their own little personality. And even the other two, Marty and Jan, both have their own things going on. And they were very different personalities as well, which I, I liked. It wasn't just like one representation of a woman is a representation of all women. So there was some nuance there. And obviously we both adore... Stop out, Jane. Thank you. <laughs> Because of her West Wing. Oh, yeah. Her performances in, in West Wing. But I adore her in this as well. She, it's a great character. She plays it so beautifully. I've always loved Rizzo's songs. Mm-hmm. I think they've just... She plays them so full of hurt and confusion and complexity because she's she doesn't fit that Sandra D. Who we should mention, the, the Sandra D that they talk about when they reference Sandra D in the, in the film, it's a reference to an actress who played a lot of these stereotypically sanitized versions of a teenage girl. So she... She was, she was known for being the quintessential American teen, which your parents wanted you to be. Yeah. So she was kind of the, the hallmark girl that they wanted Sandy to kind of be, but then subvert by turning into the bad girl rather than her turning the bad boy into the good boy. Yeah, I feel like with Rizzo's character, you get 
a sense of that. I don't fit that Sandra D stereotype and I feel weird about it, but I'm trying to embrace it, but I still feel like I'm being judged. Yeah. I like having sex and I feel like I'm being judged for liking having sex. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of complexity there. And it's it's beautifully put together in the song. Um, worst, there, there are, are worse, worse things, things I, I could do. do. And Stockard Changing does an amazing job of it in the film, um, I think. Yeah. It's basically just the camera on her face for the whole thing. It is. And just yeah. the emotion in that is amazing. But the, the thing mm. is, the difference between, I guess, this and the, the stage show, in the stage show, she sings that at the end and she sings it to Sandy. And I think that really changes ah. it. And I think it's an important thing because it's sort of, in the stage show, they've just found out that Rizzo's pregnant, similar to the way it does so in the film, in that Rizzo tells one person and then it spreads extremely quickly. Um, yep. Everyone leaves except for Sandy, who sort of goes up to Rizzo and is like, you know, sort of says something that's like, oh, I hope you're okay, but very much in that judgmental sort of like, you know, you've been strumpeting around, so I hope you're okay. But I- Wait, in the stage yeah, show or in, in the, the stage film? Show. I didn't, I didn't think it was judgmental in the film. No, 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 no. In the, yeah, yeah, okay. in the stage yeah. show. She sort of comes up to says, "Oh, I hope you're okay, Rizzo." And but yeah, and then I think it's a really powerful moment as Rizzo says, "You know, there are worse things that I can do." Just because everyone sort of says that you're the way you're leaving things is perfect doesn't make it perfect. And then from there yeah. it goes into Rizzo and Sandy singing the reprise to Sandra D, that goodbye to Sandra D. And I think it just oh. makes a lot more sense of sort of like throwing away that there's an idealized version. Yeah, and that's really interesting. You actually. lose that in the film, um, but you don't lose the power yeah. of that song because I think Stockard Channing does it really well. Sorry to go on a bit of a rabbit hole there, but yeah. No, 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 that, that's interesting because in the movie we see Sandy has this realisation that she needs to throw off those shackles when she's watching Danny race. Yeah. And I guess that's that's maybe a little problematic because I think if we had it the other way around when she has that come to that realisation when she's talking to Rizzo, I think it, it does become more about her changing for herself rather than changing for Danny. Whereas when she's having the realisation while she's watching Danny race, that kind of does lend itself to the reading of, oh, she wants to change so she can get with him again. Yeah. So that's really interesting to know. Yeah. Um, and maybe that is why that is why this film is so is so hard to pin down because there's been so many different versions of it, I guess, <laughs> over, over the years. And, and with the film, it, it brings a history of all these different people who have been involved and the changes over time and I think we're picking up on different parts of it as we go through so it's a it's a contradiction in itself half the time I'd say it is and I think it's that weird combination that means it works but means you can also never do it again like you can never capture this lightning in a bottle this greased lightning in a bottle no <laughs> but yeah even like just the way that both the actors play that relationship between Rizzo and Nikki in the scenes where they're sort of arguing I remember even just as a kid watching that and just feeling feeling anxious just because I think they they play yeah. it so real and it, it, it is an incredibly oh, real completely adults yeah like yeah like a complicated relationship between yeah older teens or young adults um that you know they have anger towards each other and they have these frustrations and they don't have the emotional maturity to deal with that but they have real feelings for each other as well. And I think it's said in the special features in that behind the scenes that they actually had a big fight scene that they filmed between these two, yeah. but they cut it out. Yeah. Because it didn't, it felt like you said, like it too serious. That's it. Because even, even the one that they did include, which is them just at the diner and she throws a milkshake, feels real. And then it just feels so yeah, weird that... at the end where she gets off the Ferris wheel and says to Kaniki, it was a false alarm. And then they start dancing. You know, it feels weird. It's like, oh, tie it up in a bow quick. Yeah. 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 I think their relationship always felt more adult than mm. the Sandy Danny relationship. Yeah. It felt like because there was that history there, it felt like it felt like two people who loved each other who were trying to figure it out over a long stretch of time with real complexities thrown in. Do we want to talk about Frenchie? Yeah. I was thinking about whether this film is a feminist film and I kept on I was like googling Greece feminist perspective and I, I read like a few different articles on either side I really enjoyed it and I'll try and put some of the articles up on Facebook hopefully I'll remember but there's one at the the Mary Sue which I really enjoyed one of the one of the points which I totally agree with was the fact that the Frenchie storyline doesn't have anything to do with men it's all about her trying to figure out her career path oh, yeah. and her trying to figure out you know who she is in life and what she wants from life and it has nothing to do with men it has nothing to do with her in relationship to men and I was thinking to myself um, does this film pass the Bechdel test which if you don't know what it is the Bechdel test is a very very low bar which films have to pass. <laughs> you would want films to pass where they've got two female characters who both have a name 
who have a conversation with each other that doesn't have anything to do with men. Um, and, you know, so many bloody films don't pass the Bechdel test. It's, you know, frightening. You can have a look on YouTube and see all the films that don't pass it. But I think that Grease passes it. And the bit that came up for me when I was trying to think about whether it passes it is the conversation that she has with Val, who works at the diner. diner. And Val is given... I mean, she's not given a whole lot of backstory, but she's there every now and then. Yeah. And, and you see her like by herself, separate from the kids a little bit. And they have a, this conversation about what should I do with my life? Maybe I should be a waitress. Maybe I should be a stenographer. You know, what can I, what can I do with my life? Because she's trying to decide. She's just dropped out of beauty school and she doesn't know what to do. Then, of course, the male angel arrives and tells yeah. her to go back to high school. And all of that is blown out of the water. But there is that one snippet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is really interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. Mm. Yeah, but what a great character that you just sort of see so much of that, you know, you see so much of that, sto- that, that teenage story of, yeah, not knowing what to do. And <laughs> yeah. that's such a big part, I guess, of being a teenager. And I'm really glad that they really kept her story because they did trim down a few of the other stories. of um, For the film. Yeah, but uh, keeping that one in there. I think mainly because Beauty School Dropout is an amazing song too, so it would have been hard to cut that. Yes. But yeah, it was, it was good that they kept it in there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Frenchie is a, a beloved character and I think one that does it does kind of ground the film or it kind of uh, speaks to a, a theme of the film that isn't really explored anywhere else, I guess. Like the other kids don't really talk about their or they don't think about their future until right at the end when they're like, <laughs> what, I flunked PE? How could I flunk PE? The lack of focus on schoolwork or... <laughs> any kind of you know academic side of things was very glaringly obvious to me this time not saying that it should have at all but it just I think it it was interesting because it kind of showed as well that like yeah to kids to us teachers the the schoolwork is the major part of school but to kids it's the social side of things that is the major part to school yeah it's the it's their whole world. It's their social circle. It's how they figure themselves out. It's their testing ground for everything. And it's it, it's a little interesting reminder. Yeah. I love Frenchie. I really like her character. Yeah, me too. In fact, all of the girls have their own, like even Jan. I, I felt <laughs> like if I was going to be a pink lady, I think I'd be Jan. Just because she's, she's just like a bit more sloppy or I don't yeah. know, like wears these baggy clothes. I think she's a great character. Yeah. Um, and it, her story was cut down a bit um, from the show. Her and Roger, one of the T-Bird, uh, get, together. Ha- get together and have sort of a, a storyline between them, um, which I think is one of the right. sweeter ones in the, in the show. Oh, cute. Yeah. The only other pink lady is Marty and her storyline is that she's got these all these guys that she writes to to try and like keep them on the hook. Yeah. All these marines or whatever guys who are away. And then she the creepy one of these like small creepy things which there's a few little creepy things that happen throughout the film that we should talk about but one of them is the judge of the dance competition Vince Fontaine mm. and he's like in his 30s, 35, 40. He's a super he's like, sleaze. Res- like yeah. Hidden on Marty and Marty's like yep. And then later on she says to one of the other girls that she caught Vince Fontaine trying to slip a aspirin into her Coke, which you're like, don't think it was an aspirin. Yeah. And that's terrible. Yeah. And I think it, it was portray- he was portrayed as being a sleaze. That's it. He, he's a super gross man. I think that's what he's not supposed to come across well at all. And I think... No. Um, yeah, he's, that's it. It's just, it just doesn't feel comfortable. Even though he's the butt of jokes, it doesn't feel great joking about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there's a few other things like um, when we first meet the T-Birds, one of them is lying under the bleachers looking up yeah. under the girl's skirts. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of like, you know, passed off as like, oh, ho, ho, ho. So there's a few little things like that that are here and there that you're just like, ah. But overall, I think that it's a more complicated debate. Yeah, agree. Another one of those kind of off things, which I don't know, you tell me what your perspective on this is. I don't know if you noticed this, but when Danny's Danny and Sandy are watching a movie and Danny tries to cop a feel mm. and she's like, get off me, and then runs out of the car. Which right before that, there was also this... Because she's she's angry at him because... She's angry because he ended up dancing with that other girl at the dance. Rightfully so as well. Like, he did... He does some some really dick moves, and she's rightfully angry at him. And then he gives her his um, his ring, mm. and she's like, "Now I really know that you respect me." And then he goes to try and cop a feel, and she throws the the ring at him and leaves. Which I guess that's kind of a nice little contrast there with like, actually, it's kind of saying just because a guy gives you a ring, yeah, that mean doesn't shit. mean he respects you. It doesn't mean nothing. Anyway, she runs away, and then he's singing the song Sandy. 
And in the screen behind him, because he's still at the drive-in cinema, at the screen behind him, <laughs> did you did you realise this? Yeah. What was happening on the screen yeah. behind him? There's a hot dog. There's a hot dog and a bun, bun having an argument. Yeah. And the bun's like, no, 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 you've got to do this. And the hot dog's like, you know, being like this, like flexing his muscles and like he's he's doing a dance and he's trying to impress yeah. the bun. And then the hot dog bun eventually lets him in. I was so shocked by that. So this innuendo of he's like, essentially he's singing this song about how much I love you and how much I miss you. And in the background, there's this hot dog trying to go like, what the fuck do I have to do to get in your pants? And the hot dog bun's like, well, this is what you have to do. Then I'll let you in. I, I What the fuck? I didn't make that and this movie. I did laugh This movie is PG. Yeah. No, Paul, it is 100% innuendo about a dick and a vagina. Yeah, I, I get that now. I did not pick it up at the time. <laughs> Um, and it's behind him singing this love song. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. So that, that went over my but, head. So hopefully it goes over the head of children as well. I wish I wish that's how we rated films. We were like, okay, yeah. I'm watching this. I'm going to give it a PG because I think it probably is an M, but that's probably going to go over the heads of the kids. So yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Adult themes. Yeah, I thought that was adult themes. I thought that was both hilarious and very naughty. <laughs> And I encourage everyone to just Google that scene yeah. because I think it'll give you a laugh. Um, hot dogs and buns. Hot dogs and buns. So let's let's talk a little oh, bit fuck. about, I guess, the... I, well, we've, we've dropped in actually most of the stuff I wanted to talk about with the production of the film. How it sort of, yeah, was spawned off Saturday Night Fever to a, a big extent because the producer also had the rights to this film. And that's how, I guess, John Travolta got involved. I think he did a three-picture deal with John Travolta, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the third one was. Maybe it was that weird no, sequel neither. to Saturday Night Fever. I've never seen Saturday Night Fever, have you? Me either. Oh, we should buy it on DVD. Yeah, and watch it. Quick, quick. And then Olivia Newton-John was uh, a famous recording artist. Mm. Yeah, yeah. and John Travolta says in that in that um, interview, he says, everyone at the time wanted Olivia Newton-John to be their girlfriend, and here I was yeah. getting to... <laughs> To play play her as my girlfriend, who was like in heaven. Which was yeah, which was a bit a bit cute. Well, I kind of I really liked that story about Olivia Newton John, how she got involved in it because they wanted her. I think she went to a dinner party with one of the producers, and he was like, oh, "I'd really love you to play Sandy," and she was really unsure about it, and she asked to have a screen test with John Travolta so she could see if she felt comfortable and if the chemistry worked between them, and she did, and then she was like, okay, I'll do it, but also I'm a bit nervous about acting Mm. on screen, and I don't know if I can do... I'm going to be singing, I'm going to be acting, and I just don't know if I can do an American accent. Yes. And they were like, oh, well, we'll make you Australian. Australian, Yeah. Um, Which is great. I love that. That's it. So, yeah, uh, watching the special features, it looks like, yeah, we both watched the, the same um, behind the scene thing. The the DVD does also come with a, um introduction by the director, which is always nice. And he just sort of talks about, he's like, you know, it's really good that we get this opportunity to revisit Greece doing these commentaries and stuff. And, you know, that's yep. always good. Weirdly enough, like normally for DVDs, right, when you've got like a standard edition there'll be trailers and stuff at the start but normally you don't get them for like really snazzy editions like this but this did have when you put in the first disc it has a really long ad for that over the hedge movie what's that it, wait that cartoon yeah um oh how weird and it's like it reminds me of, it's a kids movie yeah and it, it really reminded me of you know like when you watch really old school trailers and that sort of give away the whole movie and are really sort of awkwardly paced yes. And yeah. the music kind of feels weird. It was like it was like that. It was like someone had tried to do one of them for Over the Hedge, including like a weirdly not the right re- ratio. Weirdly, yeah, weirdly pixelated, sort of stretched out version of the logo for Over the Hedge at the start. And then some guy being like, "Weird." So you want to watch a film? Here is one. <laughs> like it's just so. It's just like. <laughs> it's not even like a good film. It's like, oh, you want to watch a film? Oh, take this one. It was just so poorly put together and it's weird that it just popped up when we put it in that Elizabeth's like skip it and I'm like no I'm entranced by how (laughs) (laughs) I think it's our duty as podcasters to watch all those little shitty parts of the DVD that's it so that was weird I didn't listen to any of the commentaries but it's good to hear they've got a commentary track by the choreographer which would also be interesting to oh that would be so interesting yeah listen to I I watched yeah that sort of like featurette on Greece. I also watched, they had like a look at the 25th anniversary party, which had some interviews with the cast. Then they also had Olivia Newton John and John Travolta performing some songs with a live band, and then they got all the old cast up on stage to do summer nights, which was really cute. Yeah. I watched the theatrical trailer for this, which was well cut. 
and made it look interesting. And I also watched uh, some of the deleted scenes, oh, which cool. had another introduction by the director, and it was really good. He was actually so excited about it. He was like, we didn't know we were making such a phenomenon when we made this, so all this stuff we thought would just be yeah. chucked out, but they recently found in one of the vaults some of the black and white um, negatives. So here they are. So they're in black and white. There's not a lot wow, of... Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot there. A couple of more little sort of visual gags with the T-Buits playing around being silly, especially, you know, I yeah. can't remember who's got the water gun, but using the water gun to try and threaten people and people just being like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, just some mucking around and stuff. But it was really, it was really good to see. And it was really good to see how excited the director was about it. It's like, these still exist, you know? How cool. Yeah, yeah. I think they just, it's it just... The vibe of that film seems like they just had a riot on it. They just had so much fun. That's it. And even Olivia Newton-John in that interview that I was watching, she says, she talks about, okay, she's put her mark on the film world now and she's happy with that. And if she never does another one that, you know, that does as well as that, she's, that's perfectly fine. She feels great about that. Exactly. And there was a couple of other things I didn't watch. One featured on the, on the dancing, which I didn't get a chance to watch, but I thought would be interesting. And they also had a, a fairly lengthy featurette on on the cars and the racing sequence. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it, unfortunately. But I think the car race is pretty excellent. And it's great. It's also just one of those things that this film does so well because often with movie musicals, you kind of fall into two categories. The sort of either they just sort of basically plonk a camera in front of the stage show and it feels really enclosed and weird or they try and go too yeah. much the other way and you sort of lose all the charm. And for some reason, this one didn't and again i don't think you could do it again despite they just lucked into it being perfect they did but i think yeah a big part of opening it up was that car race yeah for sure and one of the exciting sort of like little bits of movie trivia one of my favorite films of all time is called them and we'll do it on the podcast at some stage Um, but it's about a giant ant invasion of earth great (laughs) i cannot wait (laughs) and it's the place where the main ant colony is, is the same. The waterway they race in for Greece is actually where that main ant colony is in them. And that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> you must have had to have watched it to get that because I don't understand. But I will try and remember this conversation when we when watch we that film. Them. But uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> just great that the waterway is still there and it's being used in a, in a different film in a completely different setting. Them's like an old black and white sci-fi movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, we'll have to get onto that soon. Yeah. Um, you've just reminded me that the owner of the garage where the T-Birds work and where they build their car up from scratch is a woman. Yeah. I no, thought that was great. The weird thing is... There's a, a female mechanic. Yeah, no, but she's the teacher that's in there. Like, she is a teacher because... Is she actually? it says on their back of their uniforms, it's the Rydell garage. But isn't Rydell yeah, just the town? Yeah, just the town, maybe. I, I thought she was a teacher and I was yeah. like... Why is there a teacher turning up to this illegal street race? I don't think she. I don't think she was a teacher. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, that, that um, makes me feel better. And they don't. They don't make a big deal out of it either. It's just like, who's this woman? She owns a garage, and the boys are all working out, working the car out. Yeah, working the car out. The boys are all working on the car there, uh, and they're learning from her. That's it. I also love. It, like even now, you would rarely see that. I, know. I also love. It just reminds me of that sequence at the start of the race where Kaniki gets knocked unconscious by the door, and Danny has to do the race. Oh yeah. What a, yes. what a fantastic oh my ridiculous God. scene. Like. Yeah, so they so just for the context, one of the one of the um, pink ladies finds a penny, so she goes to try and give it to Kaniki as a good luck, but she drops it and he bends down to pick it up and right at that moment someone opens the car door, bangs him on the head and he's knocked unconscious. But the bang on the head is like a tap. <laughs> like it, it barely that like they need to get a bigger sound effect in there or something. It was like it barely touched him and he's out cold. Oh, it's just it's just brilliant. Because then yeah, obviously John Travolta, the star, can take over. Because Yeah, well they needed something. That's it. In the stage show, Kaniki sings Grease Lightning and the car's sort of like his story, and that's what it's about. But in that documentary it says that they wanted to give him the song. Apparently he said he wouldn't do it unless he gets Grease Lightning is the actual That is story. my shocked face. Yeah. There was silence. But whoa, what an asshole. Well, you know, he knows. He knew where the money was. <laughs> I, I think that's fair enough. I don't uh, I don't. It was the Scientologists. They were on to him back then, even. But um, they've made him the driver of the car too. So in the in the stage show, it's Kaniki is the driver of the car. I don't know the if race. there is a. There's definitely no race. I think he just wants a car. There's no sort of. There's no racing element at all in the stage show. Ah, uh, okay. The scorpions don't exist. Right. Okay. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Maybe they're mentioned just in passing. Mm. So Paul, we've come to the pointy end. Yeah. 
What are you going to do? Wait, I'm going to guess. I think you're going to keep it. Surely you're going to keep it. It's a 30th anniversary edition. It's in a leather jacket. You're so right. I am going to keep it. Yeah, of course you are. Uh, yeah, my issue is, though, that with the jacket on, it doesn't fit into my new little DVD case. So... Can you... Should you get rid of the jacket? No, you can't get rid of the jacket. No, of course not. Unless, of course, Peggy wants to wear it. Peggy <laughs> would look so cute in that little T-Bird jacket. <laughs> Oh my god. It has no arms though. That might be no, a problem. We'd have to do some minor alterations. <laughs> uh, Actually, pink is her colour, so I think she does identify more with the pink ladies, yeah. but she thanks you for the invitation. No, fair enough. Um, no, I will keep it and I'll see what we can do um, about where it's going to get stored. But no, look, Grease is, yeah, classic. And this one's got a great sing along lyrics track that's sort of like animated oh, yeah, underneath it cool. too, so you can have a good sing along. Which is good fun. I really I really liked the animations. It really reminded me. I feel like maybe they did this on purpose, but it reminded me of the Archie comics. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, it's kind of locating you in that time and place as well. Like the Archie comics are all about high school and mm. all that stuff. I, I totally yeah, get that. I liked it. All right. What a wild ride. Yeah. But I highly recommend everyone to go and watch it in these dark times because it is... The energy coming from that screen is palpable. Yeah. And um, just, you know, get up, have a dance. That's it. Sing to your pet, even if they hate it. Yeah. And I also recommend listening to that 1994 soundtrack. You do have to really sort of like let go and give in to the campness because it is just taken to the extreme. Yeah. There's an amazing riff in the Grease Lightning song where he sings about the Palapino dashboard. Palapino dashboard and do. And he like goes and just like does the bit. Um, (laughs) It is just, he he just does it with like all these oohs and ahs and it's just, it is hilariously over the top. Very good. Yeah. So listen to that too. And um, we'll, we'll schedule some more musicals, I think. Yeah, I think so. We've got a a real upper coming up next week, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know you're being sarcastic. The film we're doing next week is Kill Bill and it's not an upper, but it is escapism because it's very otherworldly. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a different place. So it's a different place. <laughs> it's it's a different form of escapism. I realised before I said palapino, like jalapeno. Yeah. I definitely meant yeah. palomino, like the actual word. Palomino. Yeah, did not mean jalapeno it's... dashboard. Would be a different thing. All the all the car fanatics are just going to be onto us, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great. That's it from us this week. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Yes. Thanks and hope everyone's doing well and surviving. Staying sane. Staying safe. Yeah. Getting more attached to your cat. Yeah. So much that you're going to have separation anxiety when you finally have to go back to work. I think you're going to have to carry her around in one of those little bags all the time with you. I actually am. Yeah. It's getting, it's worrisome. I'm a bit concerned. <laughs> um, but yeah, all right. do follow along at DVD Clutter. That's D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R at Instagram. We've got a Facebook page, Twitter account, and we've got a Gmail. Yeah. Get in contact with us, especially if you want a copy of War of the Worlds, Forrest Gump, the IT Crowd Season 1. Because you pay postage, I'll send them out. They're just sitting here. I, I can't give them to an op shop. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. If you want any of the DVDs we've talked about over the last few weeks, please feel free to get in touch and we will send them to Muppets you. Muppets in Space could be yours. <laughs> oh! No, Paul, I already put an order oh, down on that Sorry, one. yeah. All right, we will leave it here for now and we'll get to watching our next DVD. And we'll be back next week with Kill Bill Volume 1. Bye! Just don't worry. Just don't. (laughs) I'm not worried.